0: Geekly Yoked is a proud member of the Crossover Nexus. To find more blogs and podcasts about the intersection of faith and pop culture, check out crossovernexus.com. Tell them Bilbo sent you.
1: So many ways to say I love you In different languages across the land You haven't heard them all, so I'll tell you As only a true geek can
0: Hello and welcome to Geek We Yoked, the world's best married Christian geek podcast, coming to you live from Gambier, Ohio. As always, I'm Lehman Kessler.
2: I'm Rachel Kessler.
0: That's Mother Rachel Kessler.
2: I am a priest here in the Episcopal Church, one day maybe for real.
0: And I am a stay-at-home dad, H.B. Lovecraft impersonator, and affiliated scholar at Kenyon College.
2: And I am the chaplain at Kenyon College. You didn't let me get to that. You cut off my whole intro. You, did
0: you, you were going into your whole spiel about being a ronin priest, a samurai with no something something. What? You know, how we do. How we do? How do you do, Rachel?
2: Uh, I do pretty well.
0: What's new and exciting in your world?
2: What is new and exciting in my world? It's spring break, woo!
0: Spring break, woo! We don't really get spring break.
2: Well, no. Is I just, mean, it's, it's it just means really there's... quiet here.
0: Yeah. This is this is when uh, the town becomes a little ghost townish.
2: Well, when you consider that the student population comprises about one hundred and fifty percent of the, or, or like, the the student population is one hundred and fifty percent more than the population of Gambier.
0: So essentially, we are now at forty percent of our normal capacity.
2: Something like that. Yeah.
0: Gotcha. Yes. As they leave Brigadoon to go off Pretty,
2: to, uh, into the world,
0: to sadly still use yik yak and talk about how they wish they were back at Kenyon, even though when they're at when Kenyon, they're Kenyon, all they do is yik yak about how much they hate Kenyon.
2: I try to stay away from the yik yak,
0: but you get to see into the
2: crazy
0: ed of these students.
2: But I don't need that, and I feel like it's a very skewed view of the student population.
0: For those unaware, Yik, Yik is this bizarre, localized, anonymous Twitter app. Like, not actually Twitter, but it's like Twitter and that it's just these short little kind of it's what bursts. what
2: the kids are doing these days.
0: It's it, you're, I think you're supposed to use it to, like, anonymously organize protests and bring down Syrian governments. But it mostly gets used to talk about crushes and where students are using the bathroom on campus.
2: Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much.
0: But it's, so much has happened in the last 2 weeks.
2: What what has happened in the last 2 weeks? Has stuff happened in the last 2 weeks? What happened in the last 2 weeks?
0: The Oscars happened?
2: Oh, the Oscars happened. It's true.
0: We got to see Chris Rock be funny sometimes and really and
2: vaguely misogynistic or not even vaguely misogynistic even as he was trying to discuss racism.
0: Or be and be racist
2: against Asians. And be racist against Asians, yeah.
0: Yeah. That was not a particularly impressive uh impressive scene. Although I think that's the most Oscars I've actually sat down and watched. I think it was, we started it right as it was starting.
2: I went off and I went off and did compliments, so I missed like an hour. Of
0: it. Oh, that's true. I I watched it. I think I think I stuck around until Leo won his award. Spoiler: uh, I don't I don't know if I caught best film or no. best director. Uh, but what we did get to see was we got to see the delightful Brie Larson.
2: We did win her Academy Award for Room.
0: And then we went and you, you did your thing you do I did
2: my thing I do where like I obsess over something for about five days. It and was, I think I got it out of my system now.
0: <laughs> it was, it was, I, I remember the one that really just impressed me was we went to see, I think, Iron Man 3 and you saw a trail you saw the trailer for hunger games oh that's
2: right and then i went and read all three of them and in like and, a weekend
0: yeah and that was hardcore
2: i just i get i get fixated on things
0: you do get fixated on things so
2: i read room and we watched the movie and i watched a whole bunch of interviews you watched every, ca- YouTube, every interview? youtube interview with the cast and crew that i could find um, cuz i get fixated on things yes and that did, like, we had already sort of thought about this conversation topic for a Geek With The Yoke podcast, but um, Room actually made me think about this. Even more? A little bit, which has nothing to do with the, pro- so if you are not familiar with Room, it is intense. Yes. A little bit? Although, like, a little bit. although well, intense well, and
0: also just very, like, slow and quiet in some ways.
2: Well, I think that's what makes it. I think that's what makes it fascinating because it is... Okay, so it is the story of Room and told through the perspective of a five-year-old boy. And one comes to realize that the five-year-old boy has never left Room. He does not, in fact, know that there is anything that exists beyond Room and his mother was kidnapped at the age of well, 17 in the movie and 19 in the book.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah.
2: I don't know why they made that change, but um, she and he was born in room as a result of the repeated rape of his mother. Yay. Yeah. Yay. Cheery topic. Yeah. Um, And the book is actually like the book, in some ways, the movie is harder to watch than the Book because the movie you see a lot more... The difficult material is more overt in the movie. Whereas in the book, it's very much you are only seeing the story and what's happening through the eyes of a child who does not understand why it's so... Like, awful. Awful. Um, so in a weird way, you're sort of shielded from some of the more... Uh, gruesome aspects of the story. But anyway, it's a really good book. A really good movie. Really good performances by both the little boy and Brie Larson who plays Ma.
0: Well, and I was interested in it, not enough to read it, but when I was working at my bookstore in Toronto, the author came and sort of talked with everyone, all the staff, before we opened and was talking about the book and talking about how excited, I, I think, I don't know if she knew the movie was going to be coming out and was because this was a this was years ago Uh, but she was she was very excited about the book and about other stuff she'd been working on and i remember her very sort of chipperly describing how she would do research for certain elements of the book because at one point in the book she needed her heroine to roll up her son in a carpet and so she had her own son come into the room and she practiced rolling him up into a carpet (laughs) To see how it would work. Because writers are strange. <laughs> and so just seeing this delightful Irish woman talking about rolling up her child was very, very bizarre. And I think at the time the book she had... It was interesting. The book that she was working on after was a kind of collection of little, like, short vignettes. Maybe, like, short little, oh, okay. like, true stories. Um, that, that sounded actually more interesting to me than Room did at the time. But... Um, I am I was very happy to watch the movie it was very very good and um, I highly recommend it
2: well and I think what makes it really good is that it, it, it's a story that could be very easily sensationalized and very e- like you could imagine an actress playing Ma and being really over the top and I think what makes Brie Larson's performance so amazing is that um, it's so subdued And there's so much of it where she is, like, just with her son and happy. And, like, I think she really plays the mental complexity of it. And and in many interviews talks about how she's really embracing the idea that in the context of her kidnapping and living for so long in Room, she, like... Her brain wouldn't have been able to process what she was going through, right? And it's not until later, when she's home and in a safe environment, that she can actually like her brain would allow her to experience the trauma, and you can really see that played out. Yeah, in and her it was, and it's
0: been fascinating to hear her talk because she's just a hey, uh, Brie Larson because she's just so smart I <laughs> and know. is so able to articulate. Not only just like for me, what the acting process is what's fascinating, right? She's able to talk about her process in a really compelling way. And, you know, as an actor, you get kind of sick and tired of hearing about other actors talk about their process and about right. acting and, like, how they go about it. But she was so matter-of-fact about these things. And so just aware of her own emotional state and, you know, the 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 just practical challenge of, I have to act and I have to convey all this information and all this And emotion. I have to do
2: this with a seven-year-old?
0: Well, while I am essentially the acting coach... Director on set mom for a seven year old child who is doing a great performance but does not have the, you know, just the capacity to understand or the vocabulary to understand just all the like this the acting ness of everything. Uh, he is not being precious, and so she herself cannot be precious because she has to get back to just the, the practical realities of this child, and she was so good at talking about that. And and talking about just the respect she has for women who've gone through this, and and not wanting to exploit that narrative, or do it disservice, or do a kind of pastiche or parody or or yeah, over sensationalize, make it seem like a Hallmark channel. Well, there was
2: I was watching the Hallmark, the press conference. This has nothing to do with her podcast, but whatever. I was watching the press conference with her immediately after she you know how they like always take the academy award winners back and they do that little like press oh yeah yeah interview a thing with them right after they they win and someone asked her like if the like what her academy award means for the women who've gone through some kind of and it was great because she was just kind of saying I don't think anything <laughs> I don't think it does anything oh, for man. them um and it was just like good good on you Brie Larson. Nice.
0: Well, it was so funny because we had seen her in Trainwreck and then I I thought she was great in Trainwreck but then forgot about that by the time I saw this so I was just you know when I went back I was like oh right that she was the sister in Trainwreck and that was a very different movie and that was the movie that she worked on right before yeah this and very different roles but still very very good and yeah that was that was an interesting. It was an interesting thing because I think we got interested in Room and originally because I looked up.
2: Oh, right, because we were watching Trainwreck and you were like, "Who's that person?" And, we, and then you were, and then you said, "Oh, she's in Room." Yes. <laughs> and I was like, "What's Room?" And you're like, "Well, this this delightful yeah. Irish Canadian woman came to my store and talked about rolling her son up in a rug." Anyway, that has nothing to. So what we wanted to talk about was we have talked about Lady Chains. Often on this show and my various feminists... What's
0: yanking your lady chains?
2: What's yanking my lady chains? Uh, Such a stupid phrase. Lady
0: chains! Anywho.
2: But in the context of the Oscars and the issue of visible minority representation in film and in media, we thought it was time to discuss not just lady chains, but intersectional lady chains.
0: Yeah, so... This will be I'm going to be maybe asking some questions and not trying to mansplain much right. on this because I feel that is going to be the uh the the danger of <laughs> my particular contribution. Um but I think this is yeah I think you know this is a difficult subject and the notion of intersectionality is comparatively
2: new. It's not a term that was thrown around in like feminist circles, more than five or ten years ago, and it and it hasn't. It's only recently started to trickle out of the academy, as it were, into
0: well, and it's and more
2: it's, mainstream. And it's violence. often
0: and it's and it's often paired with notions of the emotional exhaustion around education, right? And you know, if you've ever been on a fight online, as most of us have been, and you know, you 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 may have encountered the phrase. You know, it's not my job, it's not my responsibility to educate you. And I think this can strike someone who doesn't understand terminology, who doesn't understand, who hasn't ever, been been exposed to this and hasn't gone out themselves to seek it out. It can strike them as very, oh, this is just a a tool to shut down conversation. This is just a way to not have to actually make an argument. You're able to just, you know, shout down uh, a privileged white male, just like privilege and check your privilege and is a way to shout down – you know, white males who are objectively right because rationality, blah 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 blah. So there will be a bit of education, I guess, with this, just well, in terms sort of, of
2: because I don't know that we we are white and privileged. Yeah. Um. But I think what what I want to talk about is is not so much getting into deep theoretical conversations around intersectionality and what that means, but to talk about the fact that when we as much as i in particular talk about issues of female representation in media and women's issues that we need to be mindful as people with a platform even if it's only a platform like an inch or two high um to be thinking about representations of other diverse groups yeah and how we and how we Advocate for that and remain mindful of that and think about what media we are consuming, what we are exposing our daughters, daughter to and how we deal with that.
0: And and I think we're not going to assume any prior knowledge of intersectionality on, on the part of listeners. So don't feel like you need to suddenly turn off because we're going to be going into to kind of heightened language. Uh, but we do also want to emphasize that we are not experts in this we are you know i think people who consider ourselves very open to to feminist and ideas of diversity and uh, trying to trying to just have maximum empathy right and trying to be aware of privilege you know I think you know that's I guess the first sort of hump is we do acknowledge notions of privilege not everyone does not everyone who listens to this probably does but you know I know that coming from my background just education wise and what opportunities I had access to and just I grew up in well I grew up in West Africa but then I grew up in the South and I saw just what being a white male in the South afforded me Compared to other people, and that may not be your experience, and you may find notions of privilege to be offensive to you, and we we hear that and we respect that, but understand. I think that's kind of the the base level we're coming from. And um, so,
2: do you want to explain the idea of intersectionality then?
0: Uh, I don't because I don't want to. I will wind up mansplaining it. <laughs> oh
2: well, I mean, as far as I understand, in the various reading that I have done, it's the idea that we have, it we all. Every single one of us, however privileged or not we may be, has intersecting identities. Yes. I am a woman. I am white. I am eh, middle, upper middle class. Uh, I am highly straight. Educated. I am highly educated. I am straight. I am cisgendered. I am uh, Abled. able-bodied. I am of a fairly medium build.
0: Neurotypical,
2: neurotypical, um, and there are mo- mostly that means that I am quite a privileged person. Aside from being a woman, I am part of I. I there are many ways in which the world is designed with me in my. I'm, I'm a woman and I'm left-handed. Oh, there we go. Yeah, handedism. Um, but but basically, aside from that, I I can navigate the world. With relative ease.
0: And be treated like an individual. Right. And not sort of um, lumped in or have a lot of assumptions made about you apart whereas, from.
2: Whereas you begin to think of individuals who are part of a, a visible minority race or are a sexual minority or do not identify very clearly along the gender binary, are not able bodied, are. Um, Neuroatypical. Yes and we start we start realizing how complicated the web of our identities are and i think this is this is an issue that is of particular interest i think as we talk about it as people of faith because there are obviously many 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 christians who are uncomfortable talking about issues of sexual minorities in particular, or questioning um, things like how we identify with gender norms. But I think from our perspective, as people of faith, we are called to be mindful of and sympathetic towards those people who are marginalized in some way or whose Life is not as easy as our own.
0: Yeah, I think the uh, you know the the idea of uh, pl- you know playing playing the life on the on the video game setting, right? They're sort of you know yeah. the the being a straight white male, you may not necessarily succeed, but the sort of the barriers that you face, generally speaking, and a lot of this is general, uh, are a lot lot lower now. Poverty and class, obviously, also in, you know cross across a lot of different borders and and can affect a lot of things as well as education and opportunity, just geography. So it is complicated. And I think far too often it gets notions of intersectionality get lumped in as uh, uh, oppression Olympics, you know, a sort of an attempt between two strangers online to kind of show off their scars and prove who's more oppressed and whoever can prove that they're more oppressed wins an argument. And that's, that's uncharitable. And I can, and I think I understand where that, mentality comes from but again this is really about empathy and it's about recognizing a lot of structural defects um here's a really fascinating example that you may have seen there was a an article going around outraged because uh oh what, what it was whole foods was oh, selling I was just
2: about to talk about this oh there we go i was just gonna talk about this yay
0: see as a man i've uh, stolen rachel's thunder <laughs> and i'm aware of that uh and i'm still going to steal it and the Whole Foods was selling these pre-packaged, plastic-wrapped oranges that had been pre-peeled, so there, the the rind was gone; it was just orange. And people were saying, "This is ridiculous. This is the you know the the height of Western decadence." And people are too lazy to you know peel an orange, and you know this is just wasteful and it's environmental degradation and so on and so on and so forth. And I saw that and I thought, "Okay, yeah, that seems dumb. That seems weird. I don't know why that's a thing." And then just today or yesterday we began seeing the articles from people with disabilities saying, no, this is actually makes this accessible. This makes this, able, you know, for those of us who have difficulty with uh, manual dexterity or, you know, various uh, uh, conditions, this is useful. This is essentially the, the ramp for being able to eat fresh produce and not have to only have prepackaged, pre-cut, pre-arranged food. And that was again. That was something I would I would not have thought of. You know, seeing an article like that, my brain wouldn't go, "Oh, wow, that's a, a really useful thing for someone who's got a, a manual uh, deficiency, and or disability." And I think that's that. I think that that is at the core of this. That sort of being aware and being aware of what you're not aware of, right? Those mm-hmm. un, you know, those uh, uh, known unknowns and unknown unknowns. You know this. That's what this conversation is about. It's about making you go aware. It's about saying, hey, look over at your bookshelf. How many male names do you see and how many female names do you see? Or, you know, how many writers of of color do you have on your wall? And, oh, I don't recognize race. I don't don't care about – I only want the best book. But but if you actually look and see that you've only got George R. R. Martin, Neil Gaiman, J.R.R. Tolkien, and other, you know, white men –
2: well, then there's a problem.
0: What does that suggest? What does that mean? You know, is does that mean oh you're a racist and you only you're you're going out of your way? No, but it might mean that you are only seeking narratives that are comfortable to you on a subconscious level or you're only or, being sold
2: or, or that you're there only being are sold. there are structural things in place in our yeah. culture that make it a lot easier for white male authors to rise to the...
0: Precisely. There's And, the and there's a lot of it. And I think so uh, as a, uh, a friend of ours uh, and I believe even, uh, yeah, I think it's uh, Amanda's uh, godfather pointed out, the 90s did a really good job about making us understand... Think,
2: think that racism could get solved?
0: Well, no. It, it did a good job of telling us that racism and sexism are bad. Oh, they yeah. are objectively bad things. And we internalized that message. But unfortunately, as opposed to saying, oh, racism and sexism are bad, what can I do to make sure I'm not participating in this and stop and you know and stop this where i see it instead it created this level of shame so that if anything sort of pricks at our sense of self and someone says oh that you know the fact that there's only male authors that's actually kind of sexist or that's an example of structural sexism you know my brain translates that that person just called me sexist well i'm not a sexist i love my mother Blah. uh and then you get defensive and you start, you know, shouting down the conversation as opposed to going, oh, wow, that is weird that I only have dudes on that shelf or I have dudes and Lois McMaster Bujold. So, you know, and then you start thinking about what you consume and, and, and start thinking about, OK, well, here's companies that actually try to have diverse voices. I have a great friend, James Nickel, who does uh, book reviews, and he is very conscious about reviewing, you know, 50 percent male and, and female authors and sort of like Justin
2: out. Trudeau, who was big on getting fifty percent female cabinet representation.
0: James James may even be better. James may be slightly over just okay. to uh, just to mess with people, uh, but he has to do it consciously. And you know, everyone else says, "Well, why do why does the pressure have to be on me? Why do I have to burden myself? I should only read the things I like. I should only go out of my way. I'm not sexist. I know I'm not sexist." But again, you there is work involved and privilege. You know requires work to overcome and that's again the hard thing especially if you have not accepted that notion but it's also incredibly important
2: this is really interesting because i was really not expecting this to be the conversation we were like i was not actually expecting this podcast to be like a a breakdown and explanation of intersectional feminism i just thought that like we were gonna talk about issues of diversity and representation in media
0: well i think it's all connected right oh it is.
2: it is It's great. I'm not complaining. I'm just, (laughs) I wasn't really expecting us to go there. And because you're the dude, you took control of the podcast (laughs) and you made it all about that. And uh, whatever I was planning to do was completely irrelevant. Okay.
0: I'll stay in my lane, Rachel.
2: (laughs) I feel like we went on a whole thing about Room and how Room set us on this topic. Well, because you never actually explained why. Yes. Which is, okay. So Room is off and the movie in particular. Race is never actually specified in the book. Hmm what's interesting things about us that
0: like Hermione Granger
2: like Hermione Granger or um Rue in the Hunger Games oh right that was a big thing um when the internet exploded because Rue was cast as a black actress in the Hunger Games and if you actually go back and read the Hunger Games you realize that it's you know she probably there's a good case for her actually being black in the book um so Room was interesting, especially as I was reading the novel. I was like, oh, you can tell that this was written by a woman. Because there were just so many background female characters, right? Yeah. The, um, the police officer that encounters the little boy and ultimately is able to just do a tremendous amount of detective work to figure out where the mother is. Um. The doctor in the hospital and just various professional people that she encounters are women. And I was like, oh, yeah, you can tell this book was actually written by a woman. But then I realized beyond that, it was interesting that there were characters who had names that suggested they were definitely not white. Um, Like the guy that uh, when the boy escapes and the first person he runs into is a man named Ajit. Yeah. Uh, and the officer who, the police officer who ultimately finds the mother is uh, Officer O. Oh, okay. Um, and so I just thought it was interesting that not only were so many of the characters women, but there were also a number of indications that suggested a, a sense of racial diversity.
0: It was not all O'Malley and As enough. well,
2: Yeah. And I was like, all right, this is written, not only is this written by a woman, this is written in Toronto where a guy named Ajit could like...
0: Just be jogging down the street. Just be jogging
2: down the street and walking his dog with his kid and like completely normalized and I miss Toronto sometimes. Um, And so then we watched the film and in some way, I mean, it needs to be said, the film is still very much a white woman's narrative and, and there's a lot to be said for that and how... Particularly in the media when uh, some tragedy or issue befalls a young, attractive white woman, there is a collective outcry and we do not know how to raise that same societal angst for individuals who are not conventionally attractive young white women.
0: I I heard an amazing thing talking about if we wanted to get white people interested and upset about Flint, don't talk about poor black children getting poisoned, talk about all the dogs and cats that are getting poisoned.
2: Okay, um, so I think we name that up front, but at the same time, when you actually watch the movie i i it was funny because I first noticed it at the um in the film when the kid it runs into the guy out walking his dog. It is just a a random white guy, and I was like, that was clearly I, I think I even said to you like that was clearly not a white guy in the book, so it was interesting how, you know. That got changed in Hollywood, especially since the movie is clearly set in Ohio because the guy has an Ohio license plate. Um, and admittedly, Mid Ohio is not the most racially diverse part of the country. No. Um But then there are still the police officer that encounters like that that comes to his aid is still a woman of color. the the There is a I, I believe a black female doctor that they. Uh, that that is first, like, the first uh, attending physician when they come into the hospital. And the psychiatrist who works with them throughout a huge chunk of the movie is, like, clearly a um, Middle Eastern, South Asian... Yes. Dude? Non-white, person non-white of color. Non-white, person of color. Um, and again, that's completely normalized in the background of the film, and I think that is... It should not that should not be remarkable, and yet it is. And again, I was watching the the initial like Q and A in TIFF, and it was like, "This is our Canadian actor. This is our Canadian <laughs> actor. This is because we filmed this in Toronto." And I was like, "All right, diversity. Yeah, I remember diversity."
0: Well, and it shows, and it shows to some degree for all Hollywood's problems, but it does show like you know where we've come. You know, this is not you know Harry go Miss Harry go righty in well no and know, they're. they're
2: these are, these are people, these are people of color depicted in professional educated, very positive roles. And I mean, I think it's significant that, that arguably the hero of the film, the police officer who like refuses to get, you know, cause basically like the kid gets out and he's never spoken to another person aside from his mother before. So he's like, he forgets everything that she's said to tell them about who she was. And, and, he's afraid and so like this police officer has to do a tremendous amount of work to like piece together from the monosyllabic answers this kid is giving about how to find the mother. Um I mean it's, it's tremendous and that is a woman of color.
0: Yeah. Well and again it's not the and she's also not like the sassy black cop or no. she's not, you know, the the there's no def, you know those those standard awful sort of clichés or tropes that's that. And that normalization is what's important, you know. There's no tokenism. It doesn't jump out at you. I mean, it's sort of sad that the normalcy kind of jumps out at you. Right. <laughs> but, and I think because we were already sort of thinking about this uh, in in light of the Oscars, in light of a lot of conversations we've been having. Uh, but yeah, that's the thing, right? It's just it's that creation of normalcy so that everyone can be an individual. Everyone can just do their thing and not have to perform their race, perform their gender you know perform their sexuality
2: so we've also been listening to hamilton
0: we've been listening to a lot of hamilton because i finally well, sat we down had to, we had to
2: go to cleveland the other day
0: yes we, we, we were driving to cleveland and you you had bought the soundtrack well
2: I'd, i i had gotten the soundtrack i think with a gift card that, that i got for christmas yeah and i so i got it on itunes and i'd been but like it's fairly long it is long it is long and so I just hadn't been able to listen to it all in one go. Like, I'd i been listening to a lot of the songs, but I I hadn't just, like, okay, I'm going to sit down and spend two and a half hours listening to Hamilton now. But
0: when you're trapped in a car on the but way to when Cleveland. When you're <laughs>
2: driving to Cleveland, you just listen to Hamilton. And um that, I mean, that also raises really... In- so, the, like, it's interesting. We call this intersectional lady chains, but really I think we're talking about examples of how... Of, of media around right now that seems to be pushing against a lot of the issues with diversity and representation. Oh yeah. Because I think what's fascinating about Hamilton is that it is the story of the founding fathers of the United States of America, but there's like, are there any white people in the cast? I'm sure there must be one white. King George, who has the who has the one song that
0: I am obsessed with because I'm a white dude, so I I gravitate towards the 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 white male character. That's my ringtone now. It has finally replaced too many cooks.
2: Um, aside from King George, there's probably a white person. Well, well,
0: the fact is you can't tell, and it doesn't matter, right? Like. It's, they've done such a good job of of just kind of blending up the history and and telling it through these just powerful voices, right? And you can, as you're listening, you know, there's sort of cadences that are borrowed from different cultures. And you can sort of be like, does that guy, again, it, it, it's the awfulness of, does that guy sound black or does he sound Puerto Rican? Well, I'm, there's
2: things that I think are interesting where there's a a kind of southern blues style to Thomas Jefferson.
0: Yes, and that and that's uh, and that's a, a black actor playing him, and yeah. it's uh, like just it's again one of these weird musicals where again I'm listening to it and trying to piece it together in my head, and then I go and look at pictures uh, of the cast, and it just oh that is not at all what I was envisioning, but that is pretty awesome.
2: <laughs> so why is that important? Why does that work? what What's the message that it's sending? Well, it's
0: you know for so long we've been you know talking about the merits of of cross sex and cross racial and you know uh bl- you know blind racial casting and things like that and what's fascinating about the way that Lin-Manuel Miranda has i think very specifically and I think it's it's he's he's it's a conscious decision right I don't think he just held auditions right and it was like okay well you are the best for this part blah 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 I think he had to do a you know he had to lean in <laughs> Yeah, and really think about okay. I want this kind of voice, and let's see what a Black George Washington does. And let's kind of you know we're doing what, when you're dealing with music that is very hip hop, that is, but a, but a sort of a melange of different kind of of uh, music that comes from a lot of different racial divides in America. You know, the the women all have this kind of great uh, '90s <laughs> kind of Destiny's Child vibe at times. Yeah. Uh, but not all of them, even though the, even they have like diverse voices. You know, Angelica sings very, very differently from Eliza. Right. And and I think getting a, a large swath, getting Asian-American actors, getting uh, Hispanic actors, uh, getting just folks where you don't know and it doesn't matter, you know, I think really gives you this great swath to play with. And it talks about this is not just the story of white men, right? Because for so long, I think there's this idea of, oh— you know the history of America is the history of white men stepping on on the the browner races of uh, the country, and I think that is obviously very true. But that then makes it there's the white history and the black history, and we have a specific little Black History Month where we talk about yeah. George Washington Carver, and that's it. But it's all of our history. <laughs> you know, it's it's. Um, I I remember listening to this great uh, lecture series about the Civil War, uh, the the Professor Blight series. And it was amazing because it wasn't just the story of the politicians and the generals and what have you. They were there, but he kept reminding you that black Americans were part of this and slaves were part of this and not just as kind of the victims being rescued or as passive objects, but they were active participants and they were heroes and, and protagonists in their own right. And that's also really important uh, when we look at history, and we look at how do we, you know, recapture history and and play with it while acknowledging the role that white supremacy has played in American history, uh, but also recognizing that it, the history doesn't just belong to white men. Even though you know white men were in power, even though white men you know controlled money and wealth and armies, there was still women and black Americans and Asian Americans all working and fighting and loving and making mistakes and being more than just caricatures.
2: You, and, you made a comment that Hamilton was your America. Yeah. And what is, what do you mean by well, that? Well,
0: you just listening to it, it's a, it's, because I've been hearing a lot about how, you know, this, this is not a cynical look at the founding fathers. This is not, but it's also not this kind of hagiography, this sort of just embellishment and, you know, in, absolute awe and praise of the founding fathers and it's a very patriotic musical like listening to it as an american you cannot help but feel pride at what you're hearing but what you're hearing is messy it's not just oh the ragtag rebels were you know you know save the day and defeated tyranny it's there was compromise and there was violence and there was, you know, hatred along class lines and along racial lines and and it's messy and dirty but beautiful and you see these personalities and you see these people as people, not gods, not monsters, but people and that's my America. You know, I, I for all that, you know, I sort of rant and rail about, you know, the problems of America, this is still my country and I get mad when I see America not live up to its potential and not welcome in well, refugees in need or yeah. not try to help those who, who need help uh, the most and the disadvantaged or, you know, use its profound wealth to massacre or torture or, or to see people well, defend that. That's why it's my America.
2: <laughs> Is that then the heart of intersectionality? A I white mean, dude
0: over talking a woman?
2: Yes, pretty much. Yeah. Um, but I mean, the idea that our hum- that our lives are messy and complicated and our identities are messy and complicated and to see the world only through the lens of the most privileged voices and the most heard voices, namely uh, the voices of white men or in feminist circles, the voices of white women overshadows the beauty and the complexity and the messiness of our human selves and to expect people from less privileged backgrounds or minorities to somehow conform to the narrative of the most dominant voices overshadows that messiness and that realness and that that richness and that diversity
0: yeah i think it speaks i mean it's funny that you used room this as your sermon. I did. This
2: room was my sermon this morning. But you
0: are speaking to that sense of messiness yeah. and you you'd comparing it to the prodigal son and a rejection of an easy story for a messy but more beautiful story.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I think messiness is more interesting and messiness is more real and I think the more we can open up and invite that richness and that diversity, the better our stories are going to be. Right? So like right now I'm reading uh, I'm trying to read more world. I am reading All the Birds in the Sky, the new book by Charlie Jane Anders, who is a trans woman known mostly for writing on the website io9, which I assume if you are familiar with this podcast, you are familiar with io9. And it's, I mean, I don't there's nothing in the book that screams, hey, hello, I'm written by a transgender woman. But it just... And it's not like, I'm not saying it is the best science fiction novel I've ever read, but it's, there's just, it's different. It, it has, like, it's just, it has a fresh tone to it. It has interesting references to the world. It has, it just, it is, it is a little bit different than most of what I read. But just like reading Octavia Butler a few weeks ago, right? Like, I'm not saying Wild Seed is literally... Apparently the Parable books is... Like, the Parable of the Sower, Parable of the Talents is where, like, Octavia Butler really shines. I'm not saying, like, Wild Seed was the best science fiction novel I have ever read, but it was definitely different and, and achieved something different than other science fiction novels that I have read.
0: Do you have a sense for why the conversation has so shifted in the last few years? Like, why how intersectionality and how these conversations around intersectionality have 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 you not do you
2: not remember my my blog about moving and microaggressions
0: uh i i would i would like to hear more
2: um so i had this analogy about i was writing this when we were moving and i was talking about how like there is a, a stage when you're moving where things are really fun and interesting and like Physically hard, but not, like, that emotionally taxing. Like, boxing up books and boxing up, like, doing the initial tasks of moving a house are, take a lot of time and energy, but, like, they don't destroy you. And then there's that stage when you've, like, done the books and the DVDs and the stuffed animals and, like, the things that, like, the bulk Items that pack easily when you're stuck with those kitchen drawers that are just full. I know, right? Or the office or with its the tiny... office with its tiny little rishi rishi knickknacks and tchotchkes or the endless kitchens, the endless kitchens and boxes and glasses that all have to be wrapped up individually. And I think there's something to that with the issue of diversity. Like it was really great in the nineties when we were first realizing that, oh wait, we should probably have racial representation in media and we can have like the one nice black couple on Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman <laughs> and like racism was solved. Um or we we had a black captain of who was it? he didn't even start out as the captain nope, of no, a he, he had to work his way he up. He had to work his way up. <laughs> um we eventually had a black captain of, uh, a Star or, Trek. of a Star Trek, and racism was solved. We did it. We had a black doctor on Babylon Five. Good job, everyone. We had a
0: female captain on Star Trek, and the first thing she did was, was get, get them lost. lost. I know.
2: <laughs> um, but I think that was that was in some ways the heavy lifting, and what you were talking about. We we realized that racism was a bad thing. And yes. that we probably shouldn't be racist and that no one... Like, w- what has changed in the world today is that no one will actively admit to being a racist. Well, well and the ones who do... No one takes seriously. <laughs> but suddenly we've realized that actually achieving equality is a lot more complicated and takes a lot more emotional energy and is kind of like cleaning out those endless drawers of...
0: Do I need two uh, potato peelers? Right. I should probably pack both, just in case.
2: Yeah, and, and figuring... like. And so the work of real, of, of actually owning our own privilege and like, it, it, it also goes back to my metaphor. Like I say all the time that the only way we have true equality between the sexes is for men to do what you're doing, which is like men actually stay home and raise kids and men agree to take a woman's last name when they get married. And like the only way that women will actually have equal standing in the workforce is if there are men who are willing to do, take on more share of the domestic labor. And I'm not saying every man should do all the domestic labor. And I'm not saying every family should look like ours where the wife is the primary breadwinner. I'm just saying that in our situation, it works, right? Like I have the opportunity to have both a fulfilling spiritual vocation and a job that covers our bills and you are able to pursue your creative vocation in our family by staying home and you don't have to earn like all the income that works for our situation and it's good that we are in a world today where we have that opportunity but in order for I think in order for more women to achieve real equality, it's going to have to be a give and take. And it's not just about expecting women to lean in. I hate that phrase so much, but it's going to take some men leaning in domestically and in parenting responsibilities and taking paternity leave and expecting it can't just be about pushing for maternity leave. It has to be about pushing for men to take paternity leave. As well, and to expect men to take time away from work to raise their children as well as women. And I think when we apply that to racial diversity, there is something very, very, very similar that we, as white people in a society that by and large significantly privileges white voices, it's not just a matter of of raising up more diverse voices or raising up people of color, but it actually means we need to step back and, and we are going to have to realize that we can't, just can't expect to continue being like the default race anymore. And that there is something that, that we are going to have to give up in order to make space for other voices. So you can understand—sorry, now I'm just going to keep talking over you. But you can understand why there is this incredible pushback. You can understand, in a way, why someone like Donald Trump is so appealing. Because, like, there is actually kind of a a, a message—like, there, those of us who are from privileged groups are going to be losing something.
0: Well, and yeah, it's that losing—it's that losing out without—we're in that period where, you know, you're losing out without having got to just be awful, right? <laughs> like— it's not that like, oh, well, I got to be a super, uh, you know, patriarchal man and now I'm sort of going, you know, stepping into the kitchen. Yeah. Like I never, you know, I was never Archie Bunker and no one in my generation was Archie Bunker. Right. And that's okay. But but there's a sense of why am I paying for these, these you know, things I wasn't even involved with. It's the argument against reparations, right? Like that happened so long ago. And, you know, I'm not responsible. And this idea of of shared debt and shared public debt, or I wrote this big, long, self-important thing as only a white guy without a job can write, uh, talking about... The fact that white supremacy in this country was like a credit card that we just kept charging things Mm. to again and again and again. You know, well, we want free labor, charge it to white supremacy. We want segregation, charge it to white supremacy. And now the bill has to be paid and you can go, oh, but I was just a dumb kid when I made these purchases or I don't remember buying this. That was years ago. But you still have to pay the debt. And the same thing goes with elements of sexism that are still present. You know, we have to do hard work and it's not fun, but it's certainly... no. But the thing is, even the hard work I do, even me being a stay-at-home dad, I'm not expected to do the stuff that you would have been expected oh, to do totally. 30, 40, 50 years ago. That you'd yeah. be expected to do now. Pretty much. Um, you know. You get like get credit for showing up. I get credit for showing up. I'm not expected to keep house to the same level. I'm not expected to keep you know, social engagement. I'm not expected to take care of my sick and elderly parents, should it come to that. You know, so so already it's still gonna be better. Even moving slightly to the center. We're not going back. You know, no white person is going to have to go onto a plantation. Yeah. Right? Like, that is, you know, that – so reverse racism is not a thing. It's – it's I don't know. It's, it's problematic to see that. But, yeah, as you said, it's understandable why that outrage is there because you haven't experienced the sort of full blunt of – you know, of white supremacy and all it gives you. You just have that kind of background radiation making things just a little easier. And yeah, so it's, uh, but I think it's about doing that work and recognizing it and just recognizing, oh, that would suck. I'm going to listen.
2: When we apply this to why this is so important to both of us from from the perspective of our Christian faith is I think we are people who have a lot and we can take a lot for granted and i think it is quite important for us to err on the side of listening to those who aren't as privileged who don't have things quite as easy and to try if there is anger being expressed from various groups who are making charges of oppression, or they're trying to explain why something that seems really innocuous is actually part of a larger systemic problem in our culture, then you know what? It's just love your neighbor. Listen, listen, try to understand why someone is upset. It's about, it's about empathy and respect and, and, just kindness. right? Truth. I mean, that's we sometimes joke that being politically correct just means being nice to people,
0: <laughs> showing respect,
2: and showing respect and, and like trying to disc like like dis- uh, refer to them by the terms that they want to be referred to. To as yeah sorry that was a really incoherent sentence that's
0: okay but no I, I definitely agree it is about that maximum empathy and about finding a way to to have conversations and to recognize that sometimes we don't need to talk yeah which is hard on the podcast
2: exactly and I think we we may continue to have differences and and will continue I don't think that it's not about that but it's about it's about at least trying to understand where where other people are coming from, just like we're sort of talking here about understanding why there is that unrest in a huge center of the... Po- like, why so many people have have trouble with this. I mean, I think that that conversation about... That this is where I think the challenge is to us, that that conversation about empathy and listening extends to understanding why there's so much anger about this as well.
0: No, it's true, and it's... And it,
2: while still calling it out.
0: Well, and it's, it's made complicated as... As groups co-opt the language of oppression. Right. And and that's, uh, you know, like, I don't, I understand where MRAs are coming from. I just don't, it's not historical and it's not accurate. And I, I will limit how much of them I have to listen to. But I mean, I don't, this is going to be its own podcast, but we can talk about how Christianity or Protestant Christianity or evangelical Christianity oftentimes co opts the language of oppression to paint itself as the oppressed group. For not being allowed to oppress others, if, to put it charitably, uh, an amazing example being that ad that was put out that that was you know sort of soft music and teenagers talking about how yeah I just I was afraid to to come out and tell people I didn't want to be judged but oh, yeah. I just I I didn't know what my friends would think but finally I I just I have to come out and and say it. I oppose same-sex marriage. And it was this, you know, so perfectly matching the, like, you know, young gay student coming out or talking about the pain of coming out, but coming out as someone who opposes same-sex marriage in, like, the same way and in the same manner. And you can understand that, but also realize that that's not quite the same thing. And... I'm sure they would say, "No, it's the exact same thing. And now you're, you know, showing your intersectionality and being bigoted against me and not and you're not making room and you're not staying in your lane. And that's where this gets really dicey. But I think there is a lot of work and it does involve educating yourself and it does require trying to just be honest with yourself.
2: This ended up being a really, uh, really intense podcast. We didn't really talk about a lot of pop culture, but that's okay. Maybe we'll have to do a follow up.
0: We saw a, a fun Simon Pegg movie. We can talk about that next we time. We did see
2: a fun Simon Pegg movie. There were no people of color in it. Were there any people of color in it?
0: No, there were no it people it. was of England, color. which has a very large
2: uh, non-white population. That didn't make it into London. The movie. London in particular.
0: Oh, well, there you go, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Hamilton. Uh, we will uh, be back uh, in uh, Thank a Thank you fortnight. for
2: indulging our... France.
0: Uh, we'll be back right as Holy Week starts up. So uh, good, times good, good luck with your... This is a good Lenten podcast. It's you know? true. This is, this is looking into your soul and, and giving... <laughs> give up privilege for Lent.
2: <laughs> well, listen, right? Yeah. There's a lot of conversation happening, and particularly a lot of conversation online, and a lot of interesting voices on Twitter. And we do live in a, in a society where everyone has a platform and... Everyone has a platform. Like you could have a podcast with your spouse and talk about faith and pop culture and intersectionality, and,
0: and not mention Farscape once.
2: Uh, uh, Farscape had a really bad track record. <laughs> yes, no it did. Not <laughs> Um but it did deal with a lot of interesting, like crossing of borders, and there was a, there are a lot of like hybrid characters, and you can have mm. a lot of big question about that. Interesting. Okay. Like, be a topic for another day. Um. But uh, post-colonialism and Farscape, there are a lot of essays, <laughs> I will tell you that. Uh, issues of monstrosity and fun times. Where was it? Oh, yeah, we live in a a brilliant media era where where lots of people have platforms and everything we think we can express. But we, ha- we do have an obligation to listen and engage and struggle and wrestle and hear one another.
0: Do we want to use our platform to perhaps give some other people that they can listen to, other people of color, women, uh, other voices out there so that you don't just have to you don't have to take our word for it. Ba, well, everyone ba,
2: ba. should read Tanahazi Coates.
0: Everyone should read Tanahasi
2: Coates. Just if you're not reading Tanahazi Coats, <laughs> you need to be reading Tanahazi Coates. Everyone needs
0: to if if Tanahazi Coates and Mallory Ortberg could just shape the, like, direction of, of America, I feel like we'd be going in a new place. Well, I mean,
2: there's a number of, I mean, there are a number of Christian, uh, particularly black Christian bloggers, Twitter presences that have been very helpful to me. One guy is Broderick Greer. He's a, uh, I think he's actually a priest now. He's an Episcopal priest in Tennessee. Okay. Um, he, he posts some really, really challenging, very blunt stuff um he's the guy who when i did so i posted a a thing on twitter once that was a um like when they found out that these police officers in miami were um doing target practice with like young black and and a lot of clergy put up their twitter profiles and said use me instead and it was a lot of white clergy doing this he's the one who called me and the others out and saying that we were recentering whiteness in the conversation it was like you know what and i was like it kind of put me off originally and i was like oh come on we're trying to we're trying to help here and i was like no you're right we were making it about us yeah drawing attention to ourselves and not to those black young black men being used as target practice right and uh we were making it about us and doing that because we wanted to feel good and so um I think that's one of the, one of the things like you get sometimes you will get called out and it's okay to be called out and to consider whether or not you agree with the person who's called like honestly um anyway uh Christina Cleveland good blogger um yeah maybe we'll try to put some links in our show Yeah
0: a few that I know sort of uh through the kind of world of Weird fiction and whatnot. Uh, Sylvia Marina Garcia is absolutely amazing. Uh, she came out with the uh, the big all female Lovecraft anthology and. She's she's from Mexico and she's a woman so unfortunately she is uh, called upon for a lot of uh, heavy heavy lifting on panels and cons right. to to both represent all women and all people of color right. which gets a little exhausting for her i imagine uh Sophia Samatar uh, does some really great uh tweets and blogging about race and being a writer uh she she was one. she and Nadia Corafor were two of the uh, women who won the big Lovecraft bust and talked about what it's like to be a woman of right. color winning the Lovecraft uh award uh, the wfa and uh work to get that changed so those are some it's some, some just beginning of voices just so you're not just hearing yeah. us um we'll obviously always recommend uh geekly yoked in uh, all of our various forms
2: little light light topic
0: little light topic hey but you know what you're gonna go off listening to to deb's and errol uh, a, a delightful uh mixed sex mixed race canadian delightful musical duo From the world of faith, family, fandom, in no particular order, geek out, y'all.
1: for you, but I can never seem to find a tune, unique and new. So I sit and think, and really rack my brain, but all the songs I write just blur and start to sound the same. I would love to write a song That has that sense of joy You give to me But all that ever seems to come out Are simple tunes From the mid-80s I want to sing for you You are worth a thousand beautiful sung melodies I wish I could fulfill. But I lack such talent to compose songs, So I fall back on our friend Pachelbel. You stir my mind and heart, a joy I can't conceal. But songs I pen can never tell you how I truly feel. I want to dance and sing out loud so that everyone can see my love within. I wish I could write you a song so that all the world would want to join in. I would tell you if I could express my phone feelings when I see you But all I have is this simple song with trite lyrics and a couple of blues. You know it's just for you